Hello everyone, this is Roberto from Pleasant Evenings. I'm just popping in for a quick disclaimer here. During the second half of our discussion of this week's King and Yellow stories, our co-host and beloved colleague Corbin was overtaken by some sort of madness and spoke only the splendid and terrifying truths of Las Carcosa. Also, there were some technical issues. Rather than re-record like professionals, we decided to erase all traces of Corbin's existence as if he were a Soviet apparatchik posing in a photo next to Stalin. That aside, I think this was a really interesting discussion, and we're really proud of this one. With that disclaimer out of the way, uh, have a pleasant evening. Okay, I'm gonna go, um, just like all at once, probably. Um, hey everyone, this is Hannah. Welcome back to the Pleasant Evenings Book Club. Uh, today we are discussing uh, more King in Yellow, the next two stories, of course. Uh, with me, as always, is Roberto. You wanna you wanna say hi? Uh, hello. And Corbin. Hi. So yeah, today we are discussing uh, the next two stories. Obviously, last week uh, we had read the first two. Um, so t- today we are getting into. Uh, it is in the court of the dragon, and the yellow sign. Um, and these ones, uh, these ones are definitely uh, like more of the same. I, I think flavor from uh, Chambers. I-, I really like his style. Uh, I I think they're maybe like overall better on average. I, I like, I, I enjoyed them both a little bit more, I think than the first two, but um, yeah, that's, uh, that's where we're, that's where we're going. Yeah. I'll say, I guess out of all of them, repair of reputation still has the weirdest flavor. Yeah, by far. Uh, but uh, like these two, like have more, simple ideas and they follow them through and you can even make the um you can even like make a parallel with okay the first one maybe has the ties mm-hmm. to madness and then the second one has the romantic yeah yeah uh, leanings and even so even on the terms of the previous two stories these two stories uh i think like really nail it in execution no i agree it, it feels like they just um sort of like make good on the promise of the first two i will say I, it's funny that you mentioned repair of reputations as still being the weirdest because I, I sort of had a similar thought as i read these you know i i, I was gonna say well I, I i think overall that one's still my least favorite because it to me seems just the most <laughs> about people just being insane with no consequences <laughs> like other than that they're insane you know yeah yeah it just feels out of place relative to the rest and that it's just simply and truly about madness or something <laughs> but uh but these were also very, um, you know, these really just, I, in general, I think were just more evocative scenes. You know what I mean? Like more evocative ideas, um, at least than uh, repair of reputations. Uh, the other one, um, oh gosh, just in my memory here, the one with the the statues, uh, the mask. The mask. Yeah, yeah, the mask. That one I, I liked a lot, as I mentioned, and I, I feel like these were more on par. Mm-hmm. I think with with that story. It like I wonder. I wonder, like, in what order they were written, because it feels like, like each story kind of responds to the one before, or at least like shows a kind of trajectory. Like, me had a certain vision for what it would be, and then he <laughs> gave up on right, it. Right, right. I definitely agree with that, and I think, um, I, I mean, obviously we'll get into this a little bit more with the summaries, but there's like a slight, uh, like, um, reference in, in one story to one of the previous stories that sort of, you know, like sort of. <laughs> 
sets them all in the same universe a little bit more than they already were, you know? I mean, I guess before that we were, you know, like led to think it was just the sort of the the book itself that connected them all, but there's like a, you know, they seem to share a reality as, as we come to find, but... There's one that I'm curious ab- about if y- if you guys uh, caught anything about it that I think just just diminishes like really rapidly, which is the um, the near future aspect. Like I was thinking, repair reputations has a lot of it, and then the mask, I thought didn't, and then I was thinking back, and I guess Boris being Russian, you can connect it to how Russia ate up oh, all yeah, of Europe point. somehow. Yeah, he did seem to kind of like maybe uh, jump ship on on some of the some of the near future stuff. I. I think as he sort of like finds the place where he's comfortable, it's it's more in that like um, romantic sort of like France and New York, kind of like Paris. Uh, you know what I mean? Like these very like romantic cities and these these uh these places where like art and culture flourish. And that's obviously a little different from any kind of like near future dystopian narrative. You know what I mean? And I, I think I I like him better when he operates yeah. in that like uh like that really like artsy space. It's more his vibe, you know. Like yeah, I was like I was thinking, especially with the the yellow sign, except for the events that happened within the story. I was thinking, man, I envy that lifestyle so bad. I would love to live in this sort of artistic. <laughs> oh yeah, layabout. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, I think yeah, I think we'll obviously get into this in detail, but it was tripping me out a little bit that the guy was like Catholic because I was like, what Catholic has ever lived this way? <laughs> like, none that I've known. <laughs> but oh yeah, maybe it was a different time. Yeah, I guess back then they might have been portrayed a little bit more looser in, right. in a American context, at, at least. It feels like um, these characters are more Catholic just for the vibes. Like, they're just there for the atmosphere. <laughs> I mean, definitely yeah. in, in the uh, uh, Court of the Dragon, that heavily contributes to the vibe. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the theme. <clears throat> the atmosphere, I thought, was the strongest part of that. Of, of that story i i really like the um i mean it was all about the scenery and then the music on that note we brought up court of the court of the dragon you want to go in and uh break it down uh yeah yeah i i so i boldly read the intro so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna skip this one i could do the other story if you want for flavor i'll start reading that little bit i wonder if this is from i wonder if this is from the king in yellow play or if this is from the Bible or something. I don't know if anyone knows that quote. Oh, thou who burnst in het, sorry. Oh, thou who burnst in heart for those who burn in hell, whose fires thyself shall feed, shall feed in turn. How long be crying, mercy on them, God? Why, who art thou to teach and he to learn? That's a, a very classic style of Christianity. Uh, the story kind of features a guy who he's kind of put out he's on a weird mood maybe thinking you know things in that in that tenor because he recently read the king in yellow and he's hoping to mellow out by going to church service and while he's there he can usually enjoy the sort of uh elegant scientific organ playing that's happening but for some reason it's uh there's something urgent and like sinister about about the organ at the church service even though the everything about everything else about it seems normal no one's responding to the music in any way 
and the priest, in fact, is his sermon is very different from the quote that we get because his sermon is just about how, um, like having faith means being aware that nothing can hurt you or everyone's cool. Uh, but yeah, but that's not the uh, the vibe that he's feeling. He he's looking. He looks back around the area where the organist would come out from, and he sees this guy with a pale mask and the, oh, with a pale face. And the and the pale faced man looks back at him with a really hateful with a really hateful look that really gets him nervous. After a while, he decides he has to leave, even if it, even if it's the middle of church. He gets on a carriage, and they describe like a lot of the geography of Paris at the time how his house is at this court behind a gate in some spot and he describes how they're going through the Arch de Triomphe and and all that stuff and then he finally gets there uh he might he has a close encounter with the at first he doesn't see him but then he has a close encounter with the man he runs away as fast as he can he gets to his spot but the gate's closed and the guy's coming up on him and just when, like, whatever horror is about to visit him, he wakes up. And he's in church. And everyone, and so the people next to him are mad at him for sleeping in church. And he's like, oh, okay, I was just streaming. Uh, everyone's leaving. It's like the end of service. He turns around and he sees that man again. But he seems to be normal. And I'm not sure what triggers it. But suddenly, like, the the world kind of vanishes around him. And he's at... Carcosa, or he's like at the setting of the King in Yellow. He sees the black stars hanging in the heavens and the wet winds from the Lake of Holly. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and he hears a voice of the King in Yellow and he says, um, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's how it ends. I, I liked it. No, I think, that, I think that covered all the bases. Spooky. <laughs> That's very bare bones. I, I might have skipped some some parts here and there. You hit every point. I I would have. Are are we clear why the priest? His name is just Monsignor C, and then like like a long censored bar. They loved that in those in the old. <laughs> yeah, that's super odd. They just didn't want to give his name. I guess like I, fair. I guess I just not, I've never seen that before. No, I it guess. shows up in a lot of um like that era of book sometimes. Right. When it's like in an epistolary style. I, I guess like the title mirrors more than the name. It must be like a politeness Right, thing. but the way that the like the line is so long, you could just put C. That's <laughs> all right. That's it's fine. There's no I don't know. I um I <laughs> He's actually censoring because it's normal in French, but that word is not okay. They kind of talk him up at the beginning, I feel. <laughs> I'm not wrong in that. Like they give him some like a description of his preaching style, do they not? Yeah, I remember the the bit that we heard itself was more of the uh cool guy Right, right, right. Kind yeah, of was, priest. Yeah. Yeah, it was the cool guy at the newer church. <laughs> I, I remember that being a note. Right. He says curious doctrine for a Catholic priest. Let's see how he will reconcile that with the fathers. And I'm just like I, I was trying to figure out whether that was like part of his sort of like overall hallucination. Right. Like dramatically, there's the just the irony of how different that is from what's really happening. Yeah, yeah, especially at the end of the at the end of the story. But e- even philosophically, the take that nothing can really harm the soul has really nothing to do with Catholicism. You know what I mean? So it just seemed like, like in a way, his observation was like kind of <laughs> correct. I was like, well, 
is is it part of the hallucination that the priest is saying this because no priest would ever say this you know um like it made me question reality yeah who's to say when the dream begins because he sees the the pale face right. man come out twice like so he could have gone back in at some point i think he's wondering about the mechanics right. of when he saw him go in or out the priest saying that yeah psychologically it could just be a way to protect right. to protect himself was, was it a dream was that final wake up scene just like almost his life flashing before his eyes I don't know that he like I, I, like I think this is I, I don't know I, I feel like we were working around at the anyway, but I don't know that he like literally died do you know what I mean or he literally I, I think the whole thing is like him just going mad sort of you know what I mean like I because obviously the theme here is like heavily madness you know what I mean so I I do get the sense I I kind of got that thing that you see like um, used in like a lot of uh like media regarding like madness and insanity it, it seems to me that time is not like linear right you know what i mean so like him being in the church him not being in the church or like uh, like they don't like necessarily need to occur in some order you know what i mean because he's insane you know and and, and by that same token like his descent into carcosa isn't so phys- mm-hmm. so much physical as like mental like he's he's both there and not there pretty much the whole time, and he's kind of always descending into it. <laughs> it's kind of how I took it. Yeah, and it follows. Um, yeah, in terms of just it being the effects of reading the King in Yellow, like there's a thematic, not a thematic. There's a a dramatic uh, right. pattern of things get bad, momentarily get better, and then get absolutely worse. Mm-hmm. So within the dream, you know, he's running away from the organ, the organist, the pale face guy. Then he doesn't see him for a while. Then he's there. Uh, after reading the book, he got sick. He's starting to feel better. So he goes to church. Then things right. go bad. And, you know, the whole package of all that happens. He wakes up, he thinks he's better. And then he lands in Carcosa. I guess that that works just from a dramatic space of of right right like when you let your guard down is when yeah, you're true. when you feel most vulnerable when you're when you end up being I, most vulnerable is after you think you I escaped say, I the danger the, the scenery I, I you know i like the the depth he went into describing like paris but i was like i don't know any of these places <laughs> um, i was like i wish i did <laughs> it's weird that there is like a lot of deep cuts where I, I don't know if there's a real street or not. And then Arc de Triomphe, like, <laughs> I don't know. Is that like, that feels like, here's my New York story. This scene happens at the, at the Empire State Building where they're looking at the Statue of Liberty. To be honest, though, I feel like a lot of movies are filmed that way, so. Yeah, did you know every single window in all of Paris, you can see the Eiffel Tower from it? That's true. Yeah, I didn't know that. What? They They angled them that way. Yeah. <laughs> Corbin. I call bullshit. Oh yeah, that's where you that's where you call bullshit, Corbin. All right. <laughs> um, I oh though I want to look up. I, I this makes me wonder if his uh, na- his neighborhood uh, Rue du Dragon. Oh god, I'm, I probably said that so poorly. It's okay. Kill the French language. <laughs> Apparently, like there wasn't a uni- like there wasn't a universal French language for all of France until after the French Revolution. Like, uh, like all these different areas kind of like had their own sort of dialect. Oh my gosh, it's a real place. 
Yeah, hold on. I, I have the need. I have the Wikipedia. Wow, oh, but it's the I, French Wikipedia. Can I find this in English? To, to Roberto's point, the the dialects of of France that that checks out with Romance languages more generally. Like, like I think Italian still has a ton of dialects. Oh yeah, and that that was a, a country that was unified later. Yep. So much later. Yep. And I'm gonna try to bring things back in a weird way. Uh, to the story regarding that, but you could say that applies to to religion too. You know, like state as instrument of power, religion as a you know instrument of hegemony. Um, you know, like different faiths kind of uh, f- you know exist in this in this miasma in this uh, milieu, and then <laughs> they come they might come together under some force, but end up fractalizing anyways. Even within you know the Reformation wasn't the end of it. Even within the Catholic Church. Right. You have a priest that'll start saying things like "nothing can harm the soul," <laughs> "nothing can harm the soul." I think I've heard that before. Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably, probably ones that are trying to desperately um, secularize. I mean, I, I I know this sounds contradictory, but um. You know, just a lot of speaking points of like, oh, evolution was the is was the means, and just kind of trying to be more apologetic, right? Though I, I, I guess I feel like I don't know. I to say that nothing nothing can harm the soul like fundamentally undermines like like a lot of Christianity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how can you have a hell if if nothing undermines the soul? And I think that's actually what the story kind of explores with. I mean, I think they're equating madness to a t- sort of a type of hell, you know. Oh, for sure. And it's like, um, you know, like, like, what do you mean? Nothing can harm the soul. Like, like madness can. Like, that, that's like that can touch the intangible in that way, and and so could any kind of conceptualization of a Christian hell. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really like, these stories do um, revolve around this play that can cause like jet, <laughs> like this, like human right. metaphysical harm. Yeah, yeah, it's like smoking a million cigarettes for your soul all at once somehow, this this play that you read. <laughs> then there's the, like, it's, a, it's also like that thing about nothing can harm the soul is presented as a deviation. The guy thinks to himself, I wonder how the church father, how he'll square that with the church fathers. Um, but there's a, that's an interesting thing, too. Um, maybe you'll help me, like, uh, bring this together in a way. Um, I think it's interesting. He goes to the church, and it's a new church. With a priest that's saying new things, but he's thinking about older superstitions, like about how churches would be sanctified, consecrated, oh, yeah. like half a century before it's done. And like the idea that something could get in there in the areas that weren't right, actually right. blessed. Right, about the demon and the organ. Uh, but I think there's something there with how sort of these spiritual like symbols can like can be like charged like static electricity and then just like react to you know all other kinds of psychic stimulus or just the passage of time and culture and there's a there's a spooky aspect of it that over time as things become more routine you know even in the modern secular world where that church would have been built you know instead of like this isn't spooky it's um (laughs) it's rococo (laughs) Uh, it can still carry this tradition, you know, it still smuggles oh, yeah. in this older tradition that it's modeled after, or, including deviations from that tradition or 
completely alien things. Because it's working within oh, yeah. a, a framework, a, a role view, and, and just working within mm-hmm. that, you have anomalies that are able to pop up from that. Right. Um, like, especially like, when you look back at like anything that's ancient, like the potential for, for spookiness kind of um, like creeps in just through like whatever's lost or whatever like remainders exist in like the way that you square things. I think when you look at even like modern churches, like the kind that you might see in like the South, like the really small ones that are just like made out of random old buildings, things that exist in pizza huts. Like, I don't know that that spookiness goes all the way away. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Because those places give me such a sense of the willies. Like, I I think that like, (laughs) you know, really speaks to what you're saying. Like, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, um, I've been in so many, like, weird... Mm-hmm. I, are, are you familiar with, like, the Liminal Spaces subreddit? Like, I, I've been, like, behind so many churches uh, growing up in, in, like, religious communities. And it's right, just always, right. like, the strangest place to be. And, like, the like the like it's always just insanely creepy. <laughs> yeah, in ways that sometimes... Um, like, I don't want to say that we're special or whatever, but sometimes it's... In, like, it feels like... You have to be in a mood or of a certain disposition to be sensitive to this alternative creepiness. Like some people, when they want a touch of the spiritual, they go and it's in the, uh, just in the ritual and the tradition and the feeling. And for other people, more often, like this off putting aspect. Yes. Can, can show up. Cause he's alone in noticing all that. Like it's a, like it's it's something you bring to it too yeah it's like some people got to be like close to the holy spirit and then like other people just have to see it there which is like worse uh (laughs) the organist that chases him what do we think of the guys what do we think of the spooky dudes in these stories (laughs) is that is that a a tangible line of conversation uh like both so like both of these stories have like a spooky guy you know what i mean uh, like some, I, I think they're like sort of yeah. described oppositely. Like I think, uh, the one in the mask is like a tall slender dude and like the, the other one's sort of like a portly and, and, and bloated. Not to dip too much into the next story. Um, but I was wondering at first if it was like a do over or the same guy, like, is this the same yeah, guy, yeah. but then they have different I, qualities. It's where the church pops in again. Honestly, I, I felt like the relationship between them was kind of like the relationship mm-hmm. between I, I guess the one guy or three guys in the in the in the Nyctalops trilogy that we read, um, I, I where it's like they they might not be the same person but they're like represent the same person if that makes sense. Yeah, but, but I don't like <laughs> like it's the same role or something. Yeah, yeah, it's like functionally the same dude, and I, I don't think these people are like meant to represent the king in yellow directly. I think they're more like. Yeah, like imps of his or something, but I don't know like what they're like actions. But <laughs> I, I never get the vibe that they're the actual threat. You know what I mean? Like they always seem to. Okay, I'm gonna do go the. <laughs> I'm gonna do the obligatory from software oh, yeah, reference. But there's these guys in in Bloodborne called Bagmen, which like after you hit a certain uh or I'm not sure what they call. I call them Bagmen. Um. After you hit a certain, like, after you trip a certain flag in the campaign, suddenly there's just these guys just littered around the map in places you've been before, even. And, like, if they kill you, suddenly you'll, like, a cutscene will will activate where you wake up, like, inside of a burlap sack 
and he carries you to this place somewhere There's else. There's a thing you can do in Dark Souls 3 where you can get a guy to put you in a cage <laughs> and walk you somewhere. Oh, yeah. There's also an... There's also an enemy in Elden Ring that has, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that will kind of eat you, if only temporarily, to do, like, a ton of damage to you. And one of them, if you have, like, the health to survive it, it, like, <laughs> it has, like, a 0.01% chance of transporting you to, like, a late game area. <laughs> Whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, I the, the enemy's called, I think, Abductor Virgin. Hold on. Oh, is it those, like, Iron Maiden-looking things? Yeah, that's what it is. They have, like, oh, a very slim chance of, like, sending you somewhere, but it's very slim, and I think it's only certain ones. But they, you, you have to get, like, oh. yeah, you have to get, like, pulled into them. Wow, that's crazy. I wonder if uh, if the people in the second story would have gotten pulled in, but they, like, they they missed the, the dice roll. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's, that's cool. I mean, they, they this, um, maybe you can find, um you know predecessors just like you know a demon that would take you to hell or something but like for this story he created a cryptid or like a little monster like if he had kept going this would have been like a solid addition to the carcosa mythos of pale figure that stalks you after you (laughs) read the king in yellow i you're like this ambassador to your madness right yeah i I because I, I, I don't know the king in yellow to me is 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 like referenced but never shown you know what I mean it, it's it's more horrifying that way like I mm-hmm. if it was Lovecraft he would have gone into detail about how he couldn't show him and that would that would have been worse but no yeah no he just focuses on what he what they can see which is this crazy guy or the voice right. that seems to speak straight into his soul like that's mysterious enough on its own and like powerful. Oh, and that's another thing, I guess, like, if we, if we can say on the story, um, like, we're talking about, like, finding, like, this um, sinister energy or this, like, spooky static that's left mm-hmm. over in these uh, symbols and stuff, um, comparing old churches to new churches. Uh, I guess it's telling that, assuming that's the voice of the king in yellow uh, at the end, he refers to himself as the living god. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> That's true. Right, like... God's been dead. I liked it. It was a good diss. Right. Your your old churches, your new churches, this old framework won't work anymore. Yeah. I mean, it seems like whether you go with the new god or the old god, still your soul is pretty harmable. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that priest was uh, uh, very confident. Yeah, he was pretty off base. <laughs> I... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Psyche... I think is Greek for the soul. Oh, huh. So there's a whole science of psychology trying to treat those who are mentally unwell. <clears throat> then, yeah, soul soul can get hurt. Yeah, and that's certainly the the, the modern framework for under like ancient, of course, and I guess uh, modern. Either way, like the the way that we process our experiences probably is what we're talking about most of the time. Unless you want to say, oh, it's something so mysterious. I couldn't even say it's who I am isn't what I think or what I am physically or how I feel or my sense of time or place or being the history. being the most wrong priest. Like that really is just an indefensible position. So I'm just like, <laughs> the more I think about it, the more I'm like, what? 
it's a weird thing where it feels like sometimes for some people, like that thought is the thing that protects them from, uh, maybe it's a weak protection. Maybe it's a false security, but some people like, like, I don't know. I'll say it's my like very religious, very Catholic mother. Like she needs to feel that she's in good hands. Yeah, I see what you mean. It helps to control or, you know, be worried about what you have control over, though. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I, I think is may, maybe oh, what that uh, framework is trying to, mm-hmm. or what that opinion is trying to express. Right, like, let go of what you can. At, at, least, at least to moderate it. Yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't put it that way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Right. I guess if I was trying to say, you know, let go of what you can, I wouldn't say nothing can harm the soul. But yeah, sure, I'm <laughs> sure. Right. No. Uh, I the way I maybe the the nicest way is like how how in uh, <laughs> this there's a scene my cousins and I always reference in Batman Begins where he the, he he you know he got wet and cold when he's training and they're at the fire afterwards and he's got his hands on the fire and Liam Neeson says, warm your chest. Your hands will take care of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like all that soul business. Um, if that's a way for people to access psyche and stuff, great, you know, um, but me, you know, especially in modern times in the secular age, there are, there is a lot, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that, tends to occupy people's anxieties they teach journalists how to raise your uh cortisol level with words they literally that's what they're doing i mean there's entire systems in in place yeah to make sure you rank all the time uh so sensationalist headlines now are written like literally to like raise heart rates like uh this is like especially true during the trump presidency (laughs) it's it's died off a little bit with biden but it'll never go away because that like Um, makes a more uh, passionate readership yeah, that's why like that's why sometimes headlines are like the most catastrophic version of a fact. You know what I mean? Like because they want you to they want you to get like pale in the face when you see that. And sometimes I do, honestly. Honest to God, sometimes I get pale as fuck. Man, you know, and in that like that's like a way that reality is so much more grim than even the scary prospect of there being a spooky book called like, King in Yellow that if you read it a pale-faced man will come chase you. Oh, I know. Like, the, the pale-faced man is me. I, I look in the mirror and I see the pale face. <laughs> yeah, and naturally, the king in yellow just emerges. There's demons in the machine, for sure. And just through the natural incentives of the this, you know, the media diet that everyone has to, uh, you know, has to participate or imbibe. In, in right. Yeah, like, everything, everything falls apart. I, I wish it was a play that someone wrote that's just so beautiful because then at least you'd have something very beautiful. Instead, it's just like this, uh, yeah, this this big machine. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it, I guess, with uh, I Have No Mouth, how like a lot of our suffering is automated by systems that don't even, you know, directly care about our suffering. Yeah. God, yeah. Fucking Jeff Bezos, dude. Sorry, it's the immediate villain for me there. <laughs> it's really hard not to not to veer things into. Oh no, we're fucked. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially these days, it's it's everywhere you look. I don't know. 
I see it at this at this point as being like less productive to ignore it and more productive to like acknowledge it and make art about it. But hey, I mean, that's I guess that's why we make a podcast or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I'll pro- <laughs> we'll cut some of the Doomer stuff out and um okay, if anyone has anything else to add about Court of the Dragon, like the only thing I could think of is talk like the the organ stuff, but that's just repeating the stuff about the church and the spillover from the mysterious aspect of spirituality versus you know, versus the clean you know spiritual copyright mm-hmm. you know dogmatic religion versus or just purely secularized pretty sounds like how like organs are instruments of worship but they're also associated with villains and movies right i was gonna send that album hold on or that song oh. by sun you know what i mean to the group chat oh big was, church like, <laughs> no no that's a good one though i was gonna send this one because it's literally uh it was recorded in a big church and then they uh they uh oh no i think i've heard this one yeah so it's a uh, there's like a singer on stage right i think it's uh attila sahar or whatever you know of black metal fame mm-hmm. and then there's an organist in the in the balcony Oh yeah, awesome. yeah, and it's just them like playing at each other, kind of. And the the the, uh, the title of it is from this poem by William Blake, that uh, just about shouting at God. But hold on, that's the other angle we talked about. We talked about a God that's nice, a God that's mean. We talked about being afraid of of God or dismissing God. But there's also right. we could fight back. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's, I, that's, that's another a option. valid one, I think. Uh, there's a there's a moment maybe in in Court of the Dragon where it, I think he plans on confronting him, but when he feels like how he, when he feels him under the robes, he like completely like turns around. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that's interesting for the uh, for like you know in relation to the second story because some of that sort of carries over uh, to the other creepy guy. Like, he's also sort of untouchable in this way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know, do we want to, um, I don't know. Uh-huh. Do we have anything else for Court of the Dragon, or? No, I think I'm tapped out. I think I said what I what I want. Like, I really like the story. I guess we want to take a moment to just appreciate the the energy and the intensity. Like, like it was weird how even just as, when he was just describing um, the streets of the city, I felt the, the relief of, okay, he's not yeah. there. Oh, that's nice. He's gonna go back to his normal right. life. Like I was with him, like throughout all the ups and downs of his immediate sense of fear. I kept waiting. I uh, to me, like after a while, I I almost got this. Like, am I just getting a tour of Paris? Is that what this is? <laughs> like, he's just like like leading me in and out of different parts of Paris just for me to be like, oh wow, that sounds nice. But <laughs> initially, initially, I think I agree with you. Where I was like, oh yeah, this really like you just can't get away from this guy, you know. But then I, I think they showed me, like, one piece of scenery too many or something, if I recall. Right? I was like, okay, all right, all right. Like, that's, that's, yeah. Settle down now. There's other cool places. Like, <laughs> There might have been a moment, yeah, there might have been a moment where I thought the story was going to take a turn, too. And then I went home, and I thought, what a crazy day. <laughs> <Yeah>. Or... <laughs> I... I, I 
obviously First, not that like i didn't expect a happy ending but i did kind of expect <laughs> the story to kind of like wane a little bit like I, I thought at some point he was gonna have a lull in activity you know but it just it just keeps going you mm-hmm. know so i guess i'm walking through all that scenery was kind yeah. of lull i mean what, what what i liked about the story is that not a lot happened but shit did go down yeah yeah, yeah, that's certainly true. But there, now that I'm thinking about it, um, like the like, there's the way that we take in the church as this, uh, you know, aesthetic experience that brings out something in us. And you could say the same thing for a city. He feels safe going through the city because he's very familiar with it. You know, he's a a citizen of the alleyways and the streets and the and all of right. that. The carriages. Yeah, you definitely get the sense that he's kind of like. You know, he's very well acquainted. Like, he's, like, a local for sure. Like, you're getting, like, a local's flavor of, of France in your in your horror story. Yeah, and then how the feeling changes when that figure shows up. Like, suddenly, like, the right. how narrow the alleys is kind of claustrophobic. Now, or or the gate. Like, the gate closed behind. Like, it... it like even the geography like betrays him well i I think that speaks to his madness like i i I think like like for a lot of people that were like um you know experiencing sort of maybe like garden variety kind of paranoia like that would sort of be the type of sensation you know what i mean like these otherwise like comfortable city streets are are suddenly like uh, you know sort of closing in around you yes like i yes like i really appreciate it's it's execution like he knows how to make you feel safe like he makes you feel safe in the like, like you're saying like too many descriptions like you almost feel bored for a second yeah i i, I guess now that you say that it, it's almost like you need to feel bored to like catch the tone mm-hmm. of the story where it's like um this guy is clearly very used to being able to disappear into a crowd as i think anybody oh, who yeah. lives in a city like that would have to be mm-hmm. you know and and the fact that he's just sort of unable to do that has to be like really un really sort of alien yeah. for him and i i guess the of us, probably the only one who's maybe experienced any kind of city of that size is, like, what, you, Corbin, Chicago? But, like, I, you know, I've never lived anywhere like that, so I guess it's not like, <laughs> it's not like a thought that comes naturally to me. Like, I had to talk about that this long to kind of arrive at that, mm-hmm. you know? But I, I mean, it's, it's totally a vibe to be surrounded by so many people and also have the security of fe- feeling alone and knowing that most of these people don't care. Right about you like there's there's a there's a comforting feeling oh yeah which going back to the what's scary about the pale man is that he makes you out in the crowd like the like if anyone in the street like looked like made eye contact with me um oh yeah. <laughs> that's too much yeah i'd be yeah, shitting yeah, bricks i'd be shitting <laughs> bricks right and it's still kind of weird sometimes even in cincinnati like there there's a politeness here that i know sometimes that's like throws me for a loop sometimes and it's <laughs> yeah, I, know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you mean okay on that note um speaking of strangers that are intrusively acknowledging you um do you want to move on to the next story or do we or is there anything else anyone wanted to cover on court of the dragon i think that kicks us off nicely for yeah. the nice for the next um, All right. Story.
I, I, there's always a little quote at the beginning. I, I don't know what this is from. I haven't looked it up. I'm, I'm going to read it. Um, Let the dawn surmise what shall do, what we shall do when this blue starlight dies and all is through. Uh, that's, the, that's the little quote at the beginning. Okay. So, um, essentially, like, uh, this, this story, uh, starts with, like, another painter, um, you know, Chamber sort of likes his artists, and he, uh, he's sort of right off the bat, like, ruminating about something, like, some memory he has, and, like, the way he, like, uh, sort of experiences the sensation, uh, when he's, like, uh, you know, in traffic or uh, on the subway or whatever, of, you know, the way he, these memories that he has are sort of transposed over his reality, and I think everybody experiences that to a degree, so, mm-hmm. you know, got it. But um, then the, the sort of actual narrative starts, and, uh, you know, we find that he's, like, looking out a window, and he's watching this one guy, more or less. Like, he's kind of just glancing around, but there's one guy that's sort of, uh, for better or worse, caught his attention, and it's this, like, sort of, like, uh, bloated-looking, like, gross dude who seems to be a night watchman for the church next door, you know? Um, And he gets the sense that this guy is, like, spoiling his mood, so he decides to give that up and go back to painting. At this point, he looks away uh, from the window and right at a naked woman because he's a total badass. But, (laughs) um, no, but he's got a nude model there, um, and he's painting her, uh, you know? And he, uh, he promptly fucks up, you know? And, uh, like, I, I can't remember exactly what it is that goes wrong. I, I think he paints her, like, leg or something the wrong color of yellow. And it's a study he's been working on for some time or something, so it's sort of shitty that that happened. He felt he was doing it wrong, so he was trying to erase what he had done, but the, as he was trying to erase it, it was discoloring the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was... I, I remember, though, that he sort of made her look sort of, uh, like, uh, you know... What, what is it that makes you yellow? Is that is that jaundice? Like, it just made her look <laughs> yeah. made her look sort of like, you know, like sickly and, and yellow-green is, I think, how she how she describes it uh, back to him. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, which is, I, I feel like any time yellow comes up in this, that it's it's worth mentioning, uh, just because of, <laughs> of the whole thing. She, I, I, I think at this point, and maybe my order is incorrect, I, I don't know if she at this point leaves or if at this point describes her dream. I, I know at one point later on they have a conversation about a dream that she has, or, you know, like a recurring dream. And, and it should be noted that during this whole story, this guy is like having sidebar thoughts to himself while he's like pontificating about being Catholic and, and an artist and all this shit. I, I, I don't know. It's, you know, he, he's, I think we're meant to think he's very pretentious. You know what I mean? And he does the self-deprecating thing a lot where he's like, oh, I'm a terrible man. And then he's got this like self-deprecating thing that I think he thinks passes <laughs> for self-awareness. But that's, you know, you know, you know how it is with... It's a really good way to put it. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, you know, but he has this, uh, he has this interesting sort of relationship pretty evidently immediately with his model. You know what I mean? Um, but she's talking about uh, this dream that she has, this recurring dream where she's at home in her apartment and she's asleep, right? And she wakes up and she gets up and stands before the window, but there's nobody outside, you know? And this hearse comes rolling down the block super slow, right? And it's dark and there's nobody out there. It's the middle of the night. Super creepy. Like some of the most creepy, just like atmospheric imagery you could probably just get right off the bat, you know? And then the hearse pulls up and in the back of the hearse is like a glass coffin, right? Like a case made of glass. 
And in that case is, is the narrator, this artist, you know? And uh, I think she goes on to indicate that the person driving the hearse is the guy that's outside, you know? And at this yeah. point, the artist guy, he kind of, like, dispels this. He's like, no, that's stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> you you got to chill out, you know? I think he knows because he, he, she ate too much crab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said she, like, fell asleep with a stomach full of lobster or something, which is, like, you know, <laughs> I have fallen asleep with a lot harder shit in my, in my stomach than lobster, let me tell you, and I've not dreamed much like that, you know? I think he kind of sends her home. He's like, hey, why don't you just go rest up, you know, and, and a while later they get started on another piece. Um, there's sort of a situation though. And again, it's going much better this time where our narrator, because he's kind of like a, uh, I don't know. He just wants to like push the envelope a little bit. He's like, Hey, uh, guess what I had a dream about, you know? And then he proceeds to tell her about his dream in which he sort of awakes in a box and can't move. And then slowly realizes that he can see through the box and looks out and he's in a hearse and he's being driven past, uh, you know, her, uh, her window, her, her, uh, her apartment there. Yeah. Right. And she's looking out the window, you know, and he, his purpose in telling her this and, and I, ironically, I, at first I wasn't sure whether he, he's sincere or not, but he seems to actually be sincere. But for some reason, his purpose in telling her this is to calm her down. Like, look, everybody has crazy dreams, but because the dream is like a perfect like interlocking for hers, of course that freaks her out more, you know. So they go about it, and um, at one point, I, I can't remember under what context this occurs, but she sort of confesses that she like loves him. I, I think it's out of worry about the guy down in the yard who's still down there, you know. Um, yeah. Um, you, you know, I, I guess he's the night watchman at the church or whatever, so he's bound to be around. But like a big part of this is just him sitting out there and like being creepy you know so he's like uh out of just like you know out, out of just whatever our, our narrator just decides to make out with her i mean he's like a I, I don't know he's like he's exactly the kind of guy who's just gonna like definitely make out with somebody you know if if they confess feelings you know without really thinking about the consequences either <laughs> from uh what immediately follows but yeah until later he does seem to be pretty like he when he's thinking about it later he seems to be pretty well, yeah, that's what I mean. I said, I said until about. what immediately follows, because mm-hmm. I think he then sends her home again and goes for a walk, you know? Mm-hmm. And while he's walking, <laughs> he's, like, um, kind of having, like, these meditations on, like, what he's going to do about this, right? And his decision ultimately is, I, I think still that he made the right choice somehow, but he's like, well, you know, either she'll lose interest with me, which would be ideal, or, uh, I don't know, sooner or later I'll break her heart. <laughs> like, and he's like but at least i'll be able to you know at least it'll be me doing it and you know i'll look out for her until that happens you know is kind of the conclusion that he comes to but i think at some point during this walk he starts talking to like a kid right like a like a young boy you know from near from the neighborhood and he starts kind of asking about that guy you know because obviously this guy is pretty creepy and it seems like everybody is aware of this unlike in the previous story where only our narrator seems to be like you know like like stuck in it but he's like yeah i i saw that guy he's super fucked up i got really pissed at him i i went to like hit him i grabbed his hand and his finger came off in my hand right like he was made out of like squishy like like he was made out of like like i i like cold like laffy taffy (laughs) or something you know and this of course is like weird as shit um but 
the narrator doesn't seem to think much of it except that it's super fucked up because he goes home and then his new girlfriend comes over and she brings him like a present or something and it's this little black clasp you know with a strange symbol on it you know and then um you know so they're 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 painting or what have you um and at one point, uh, you know, he goes looking for a book, I think. And as he's looking, he sees a book on his top shelf. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck that is, you know? So he calls uh, his girlfriend over. And I guess she climbs the ladder because he can't for some reason. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I was a little unclear on that. But she gets the book down and she's like, oh, it's the king in yellow. And he's immediately like, what the fuck? Because he didn't get that book anywhere, you know? Um Long story short, they both read the book, go, like, insane as hell. This this creepy guy somehow hovers into their room with them, like, transcends, like, through the body of the narrator, and, like, engulfs him, right? And then, uh, you know, the next thing we find out is that uh, he's in the hospital. Uh, his his, his gr- girlfriend, I th- what's her name? Is it Tessie? Tessie. I think it's Tessie. Yeah, Tessie. I don't remember his name at all. Uh, no, man, nothing. Mr. No, man. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Dude. <laughs> Mr. Painter Mr. guy. Yeah, I don't know. He thinks he's so cool. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, and, and it, what's clear to him is when he wakes up is that he's dying too. You know what I mean? And 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 that's about the story. I It's weird because there's this like... Um, there's kind of two things going on, you know what I mean? There's the romance, and then there's the supernatural aspect. And sometimes, I, I don't know if I, like, did this well in my narration of it, my, like, you know, quick recreation, but they seem to, like, follow almost different tracks until they collide, you know? Sometimes he's just entirely in the world of the romance, and other times he's, like, entirely in the world of the creepy guy, you know? And sometimes I could get, like, into a, a train of thought where I'd forget about the other, you know? But that's just a, that's more... A, more an observation than a part of the summary. I don't know. I guess he just is like Im- impulsive in in that sort of way, where it starts with him thinking like, well, "How come when I look at something, it takes me back to these other memories? Why does this make me this Broadway make me think of a forest in in Bre- a Breton forest?" Yeah, I, I I forgot to mention that like he a lot of his flashbacks and memories are his like ex girlfriend who was also insanely Catholic and their time together in uh, you know Breton <laughs> forests. Uh. <laughs> yeah and like that's and it's weird because he's he's impulsive like he he when he kisses her in the room it's because all that exists is her feelings and them in the room at that moment but then later part of why he he knows he's not gonna be a good boyfriend to tessie is because because he's still in love with this woman in what is it she says at the very beginning? To think that this is also a little word of God. Right, a lizard. She says to a lizard. I know. <laughs> it's like, for some reason, I could just, like, I, I, I've, I've heard that. I, I, it's just like, I know people who think that way. Like, I've heard <laughs> that exact phrase uttered somehow. I like it. I like it, too. I don't dislike it at all. I, and, and it's not the uh, religious people that I'm talking about when I say I know people who think that way. It's the people <laughs> who see, like, small wonder in things. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, uh, like, I guess, like, it, it can be a pretty corny thing, but it, you know, it ties into the whole, like, everything is connected kind of thing. Like, there are invisible threads pulling at, you know, pulling at you at every direction. Like, if the last story is, like, a normal world, 
until like whatever's spooky is mm-hmm. brought out by the book. In this one, it feels like the spookiness is is there before even you know before he reads it. Like the book doesn't come till the end, but that guy's following him around, and I think even before he gets the present from Tessie, like the watchman like speaks to him and like just mumbles something, and then until he's, he's walking away, he remembers. Yeah, yeah. What he realized what, that he was saying, like, have you found the yellow sign? Have you seen the yellow sign? Yeah, yeah. But I, I remember it throws him into a rage now that you say that. Like, he gets really upset about it. But it, it's sort of a slow burn. Like, he goes home. He sits on that couch. Like, slowly mm-hmm. he gets pissed that this guy asked him this. <laughs> but, well, I, I guess, uh, you know, now that you say it, I never really stopped to ask myself, like, why them? You know? Like, <laughs> what have they done to deserve this? Like, who... <laughs> Who's really got it out for these two people in particular? You know, like, you know I, I guess it's a cop out to say it's destiny, but like the way that the the tragedy feels so random with right. the mask, like I guess it's set up with the with the guy's experiments. Yeah. I, so first of all, he has a copy of that book, you know, and at least in that story. And I didn't get the sense that it was like it appeared there, like it did in uh, in this story in the Yellow Sign. I got the sense mm-hmm. that he had that shit. You know what I mean? Like, he just didn't talk about it, you know? But maybe that's just me reading into something that isn't there. Yeah. But, I mean, he was an alchemist, you know? Like, he, it just seemed to me like he was up to some funny shit, you know? In spite of himself. Like, that one is like, a, you know, I guess like, a, um, you can be, like, naive about dangers, think, think you have things under control, and then something horrible could happen. Like, there's, like, degrees of paranoia like, or, like, of, of danger. There's, like, there's this dangerous thing and you could fall into it. Or, you know, if you cross this line, then, uh, you know, then these forces will right. retaliate, will come, you know, will, will respond to it, you know, in the Court of the Dragon. And then here, it's it's even more sinister where... I don't know if it's just because of who he is. Because at the end, like, um, like even if they're being targeted, if these things are coming together, like the yellow sign and that guy that's looking at them and the dreams that visit them, they still choose to read the King in Yellow. Yeah, that's true. And and he considers at one point throwing the, the, the thing into the fire, the, the, the clasp. And he doesn't, you know, for some reason, I, I, I guess. Though I, yeah, and he says he can't explain why he doesn't. I, I kind of like, again, like, I this is, like, the second time of we've talked about, like, weirdly romantic scenes, like, things that are, like, kind of fucked up in a romantic way, but the way that they, like, uh kind of end their lives just murmuring together about the king in yellow, I was like, oh, in a fucked up <laughs> way, that's kind of sweet, <laughs> you know? Like, Yeah, no, there's definitely a tie right. there. I think for sure there's a... <laughs> it, it's, like, a bit of, like, redemption I don't know. Uh, like, there's a leveling of the playing field. Like, he, for some reason, he can only justify to himself after, you know, a lot of mental gymnastics later. Right. Kisses her, you know, really just, like, at, at an impulse because of, um, because of who he is. Like, going back to, like, because of, like, the type of person right. to pick up the book and read it. Maybe. <laughs> um, anyway. That, like set him on a path where he's like okay look now this is gonna be like that but he it, it, it is it's more he's very paternal like he thinks he's gonna like navigate the you know like fly the plane to right. like the the best emergency landing he can like he he thinks he's gonna like uh uh like handle the situation 
but then when they both read the book, they're they're on the same uh like mind space. Like they're both just talking about the king in yellow in Carcosa and the pallid mask or whatever. Like they're just in it together. Have you ever been with somebody that you're dating and it's like six in the morning and you are both burned the fuck out on acid? It's like exactly like that, where you're just like muttering to each other about nonsense. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's definitely an experience I've had in my life, but that's that's what it felt like to me. I was just like, I think the order, like she grabs the book and reads it, and while she's like recovering from the fever, that I guess now we can say that's a pattern. You read the book, you get a fever. Oh yeah. While she's recovering from the. F- they decided a pale man follows you in the last two stories, but for sure a fever. Right. Um, but while he's... Uh, while she's recovering, he he just sits down and reads it end to end. There's a bit of like, a, um Adam and Eve kind of dynamic there. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she doesn't tell him to read it. She just reads it, passes out, and then... That's a good point. I don't. I wonder if that's like... His way of being like, I'm going in this with you. Like, you came to my th- place and you picked it up. I think it's more just, like, disbelief at that point. He's like, yo, she read this book and she, like, went straight unconscious. Like, what could possibly be in here? And I know he says that he's, like, aware of it all, but, like, to see it in practice. I mean, I'm sorry. If, if I read a book in front of you and then passed the fuck out, you would be like, what is in that book? <laughs> you know? I, I just... It's just so, it's so surreal. It's it's not... I mean, obviously, it's a this is a fictional book, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, if you were to, like, transpose that to reality, like, of course you'd want... Like, you'd be, what, you'd be like, what could possibly be in there? You know? I think the book, like, when he goes to read it, I think he just describes the actions he took. Like, I wish there was more... Yeah. ...to go into, like, in what way he did. But there's room for, for that kind of, like, um... Or this sort of, like, I just gotta catch up to her so we can get on the same... Yeah space or the the destiny aspect of this thing is coming for it ended up in there he can't not read it because it's there yeah i guess i guess i don't know and if i was gonna like maybe like throw one criticism at this story it's that it it feels like it's missing one or two details around the end you know what i mean but I, i i don't know like (laughs) <laughs> it's hard for me to bitch about something like that because a lot of stuff is left intentionally vague and things like this but like i if one or two more bones thrown our way like even like vague ones would have been chill you know what i mean like i, I think it's telling that for, for like you said that we're not told you know what he's thinking in that moment you know what i mean like it almost just seems like i don't know like where where's that information you know like what are we supposed to take from this but yeah just from like the i guess like what like describing it in that way makes me think he is in a state when he does it like it's not about the the way you uh justify it to yourself but just in the way that you simply do it like the way that he kissed well it's that he kissed her it's about the sheer power of the thing i well, I don't think you want it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that you seek, you know? But it hits this, like, primal thing, like, where it's, like, too uh, powerful f- to not be examined, you know? Like, especially if you recognize what it is, you know? Like, I, I think just seeing it compelled him to read yeah. it. Because it's like, oh, fuck, that's the thing, you know? 
Like, the only thing I can think, like, in the Repair Reputations, Louis oh, yeah. sees it and has no... Yeah, that's true. No desire for it. Yeah, it, it should be noted that, like, most of the victims of it are, like, artists or artsy people, at least so far, right? And that's that's a uh, Lovecraft sort of dips into that, too. Like, it's always the sensitive people, you know, that get the... Yeah. You know, this, like, you know, uh, Ring of Power quality like uh attraction or if it didn't it still makes sense for that character to read it <laughs> yeah it kind of does yeah i wish we <laughs> knew why he read it because you could definitely still make a couple good claims as to his reasoning but when he shares the dream that's another moment where he says like i don't know why i did it like he says like he opened his mouth and and then he then he regretted it and then he gives the explanation that it was to make her feel better. Right. Yeah, that whole thing was, I, I don't know. I, I guess we're, we're seeing more and more evidence of, like, the destiny kind of thing coming into play. But it, maybe it's maybe the whole thing is about sort of, like, a, you know, like, like how much of destiny is truly destiny and how much of it do we just, like, manifest ourselves, you know, through, like, mm-hmm. a, just, like, our thoughts and actions. Right. Yeah, like, like I, I thought that's really cool, like, tying it with the right, romance. Right, I didn't even think of that when I said uh, that. It's like, that's where, like, you see, like, action happening. Because uh, I was going to say before, you know, just the reality of the artist. Like, uh, uh, we can think of a way to tie in repair reputations, but we have Boris, who's, like, an artist, and, like, we were joking around about him being the, <laughs> the guy who wrote King in Yellow. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and bringing all this out, and... I guess the guy in Court of the Dragon is an architect. He's at least certainly, like, a curious guy. Um, and then in this one, again, it's an artist who, like, exposes people to things, you know, even things that he doesn't right. intend. Things that he's only vaguely aware of, he doesn't even know are in his house. And I, I have to wonder, like, as an artist, sometimes, like, there is intentionality, but a lot of it also is from the muses or just, like, oh, yeah. what comes yeah, out that's definitely true. through you. You know, like, like there's like there's a scary question at you know at the center of the King and Yellow is like, can can a piece of art like harm your soul? Oh hey, there it is. Uh, <laughs> oh shit! I was just talking. Yeah, cool. We we got to that natural. Speaking of uh, the impulse. Thing. Yeah. All right. End podcast there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> no, you nailed it. That's dead on. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Let's let's follow this thread a little bit. Yeah, I'm thinking too. Now going back to Court of the Dragon, maybe like he's an architect or like he reads architect books. He's at least like you know an aesthete. But then we can put the thing on the people who built the cathedral, who you know consecrate half of it, and then the rest is up. You know, like for this specific spiritual purpose, and the rest is up to whatever demons wander in. Yeah, I. Yeah. You know, I, I think we're supposed to realize that art can harm your soul. I, I think it absolutely can. I think that's like, yeah, duh. Like <laughs> I, it's, it's like an ugly thought because we all like art, but mm-hmm. I've had this thought that I think is unpopular um, about things like, uh, like, like, like the Joker movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the recent one, which I, I, I need to like preface this. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's very good and I don't doubt that, you know? But, like, when I think about, like, like the responsibility of an artist, you know, and again, like, not that they have many, or maybe they should, but, like, I, I always thought it was a weird choice to make a Joker movie in the year that that came mm-hmm. out in, 
you know? <laughs> I, I, it, but it sounds like the most appropriate thing. It's responding to the moment. I that's that's true to a degree, but I, I the other thing is like uh like just like knowing your audience like is really important too. And I, I also felt like um I don't know. I, I have this, like, really, like, uh, just, like, anecdotal story about this and, like, the kind of people who see superhero movies. But, like, um, I, at my old job one time, I was, like, walking back in after my smoke break, you know? And the CFO of our company, this, like, dude, you know, and his, like, two sons who worked up there with him came out, you know? And, you know, I'm not going to name anybody or even the company. But uh, they were talking about what movie they were going to go see after work. They would always leave at, like, 3.30 to go see movies because they were just, I don't know, it was, like, the CFO and his son. So, of course, they did, you know. And one of them was, like, I heard that new Joker movie came out. And, like, the the, the head one, the big one, said, uh, that sounds like it'd be good. And then the other one said, like, I heard that was one of those movies with, like, a lot of plot, though. And then they all groaned <laughs> and got in the truck. <laughs> they all groaned and got in the truck. Like, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I just like, it, that's why it was an enigmatic choice for me. Cause you're not oh. releasing a movie that's going to be viewed like the piece of art that it probably is. You're going to release a movie that let me like all these fools are going to see. Like it's a Joker movie. It's, it's Batman. You know what I mean? Like I, and it's, it's, and it's in the year 2020 like, or whatever, like 2019. What year was that? It was still a bad time regardless. 20, 2019, I think. But let me tie this to uh, our King and Yellow stories. Um, the CFO's sons are like Louis, and then like the incels that got you know got Proud Boys about it right. are like oh, uh, right. um, <laughs> what's his name? The, the guy, right. the guy who goes crazy. And well, in a way, the CFO and his sons are probably more harmless. But the fact that they exist, it definitely implies the existence of the of the the Hedwig or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the the because that movie came out. And again, I, I'm not like an advocate <laughs> for censorship. You know, I would never say like you can't release this movie. I would just say that maybe like if you were thinking really hard about it, you would maybe know that there's a time and a place. But I'm pretty sure it was like sandwiched between school shootings too. Like I was like, whoa, this is a choice. Like. <laughs> yeah it's possible that some works of art do more harm than good like well, and I, don't, I haven't seen that movie uh, i don't want to say anything about what it actually is i just mean the optics and like the timing you know yeah like sub that in for the turner diaries or triumph of the will or birth of mm-hmm. a nation uh, like there's definitely like like art is power and is is like has a power and like can be like go out of control like fight club and american <laughs> yeah, psycho too- are criticisms of a certain like type of male you know violence but some men just love the violence of it rick and morty is like i think the best is the best example of this in our modern age like i i don't know like oh other than fight club outright but yeah fight club is actually the best Mm -hmm. example (laughs) but rick and morty is a good one i don't know right like pickle rick is all about um escapism and then it just became the symbol like the thing that people escape into it was supposed to be clear i think from minute one that that was a bad joke but like i i don't know i it was not so clear based on the immediate (laughs) reaction and the hot topic t-shirts you know (laughs) not that i took that much psychic damage from pickle rick though i'll swear that i did (laughs) yeah like i mean the book is like the this book is like these king and yellow stories are definitely like raising that question. Like my my, because like, I def I definitely agree with um, mm-hmm. yeah. Certain things can just 
hit the wrong way, even if they're well-intentioned. Yeah. Then, like, the point of art is that there's a power that even the artist can't control. Um, like, I like these weird horror stories because I feel like, um, by becoming scary, it makes you, like, experience the idea more viscerally or take it seriously in a, in a way that isn't, like, philosopher serious, but serious in, in a, in a direct sort of way where, um, just the idea of art having this ability to transform and transcending the life of the artist. Yeah. in in that sense, in that sense, um, I'm, I think it's cool that they started with repair reputations, like this kind of silly story. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but it's, <laughs> I, interestingly, I, I gotta say the only artist in that is the, uh, the blacksmith, right? Do we call blacksmithing an art? I, I guess we no. have to, but anyway, I don't want to cut, I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. Besides that. Yeah. It's just people that read things and it's just this guy who's a reader and, um, uh, I'm saying this as a pun. I wish I had a more elegant way of saying it, but the um, the titular repair reputation is kind of a bullshit artist. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, uh, like there's a beautiful creative aspect of you know in culture of creating art, and then there's you know okay. So this is a podcast where we talk about art other people made. So. It, uh, but there's also like um, like little fleas that jump on top of it and just point at things. So like this king in yellow had this effect, and this guy's like transforming it into this other mythology that involves like the rightful king of America. Right. Well, you know, even that story, as much as we've written it off, is super relevant to our times. You know, and I think we just I think we t- you know dipped into yeah. that a little bit in our previous episode. But it just the more I think about it, the more that's true, you know? <laughs> uh, the way that narratives control our reality and the mm-hmm. way that, like, uh, you know... <laughs> very QAnon, I don't know. Yeah. And again, I wish I had a more elegant way to talk about it, but that one's, like, not just the king in yellow, but also just internalized concepts of of history as a story we tell ourselves. Right, right. Of, you know, society as it's built around us. Every day I give them, come home from work and I check the book. I go right to it and I memorize the, the names and the, the lineage. And <laughs> yeah, it's what helps ground him in like the, the, the world that's changing in such a crazy way. Yeah, you know, I pour myself a big glass of water, smoke a little dab, <laughs> and, then I just, and then I just read about the, the, the lineage of the kings of America traced all the way back to the great one in Carcosa. And anyway, you seem to be living in a world that wants everyone to kill themselves. But you can just think back and think, no, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the king. I'm, I'm, I'm the rightful emperor. I'm gonna serve the king in yellow, and everything's gonna work out for me. Right, right. I mean, to be honest with you, that's what I have to tell myself to get to work every morning. So yeah, maybe some people just need to tell themselves that nothing can harm the soul. Yeesh. Yeah, <laughs> I would be that wrong though. Okay, we've been recording for the fuck. Yeah, yeah. Do we want to like announce our next week plans? Okay, that's probably probably have enough there. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all. Do we have anything to add about King in Yellow or about any individual story? Um, I don't know. I 
I, I, not specifically, though, I think we ought to leave the door open to reading more out of this book eventually. Just, I, I think it's very quickly going to shift sort of contexts, though, away from w- the kind of stuff we've been currently reading. But yeah. I, I'm interested. I, I like him. I like Chambers. Yeah, great writer. Like, I, like, he can do the, he can do a straightforward chase scary story and, right. uh, emotionally messy Right. Love story. See, my hypothesis that everyone that surrounds Lovecraft was better at what he did than Lovecraft just continues to be validated. I, it's so good. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's good at concepts. I know. We're going to have to hit up. Like, the way we talk about Lovecraft, we're going to have to hit him up at some point soon. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Mountains of Madness could be a good one. I think it's just the right length to, like, kind of, like, dig into over the course of two episodes. But just a thought. Yeah, that's a two-parter for yeah, sure. Yeah, something like that. But, uh, so next week we are doing a movie night. I think we're going to cover, what is it, two movies we decided? I know that one of them we have a title for, right? Because it's on Shudder. Uh, we will be watching V or Vi. I don't know how you pronounce that. How do you pronounce that? <laughs> we'll find out when you watch the movie. Right, right, right. It's, uh, we, we actually read the, um, you know, in the pre-podcast days, we actually read the, uh, the, 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 uh, short story. The story. I, I keep wanting to call it like a like a myth because it's written so mythologically. You know, I, <laughs> the folk tale. Yeah, yeah, but it's straight up just some dude wrote that. Like it's not, you know. Damn, like Russians are just like they. <laughs> yeah, they're just yeah. Well, I let's be careful on that front. <laughs> In terms of, like people who are good at wielding words. Yes, phenomenal at that. Yeah, phenomenal at that. But oh. Yeah, uh, and then I think another movie. I, I assume we'll just put that in the description because unless uh, unless you know off, yeah. off the top of your head what that'll be, I mad. I thought Mad God. Oh yeah, do we have a way to to get that? To... That's on Shutter. Okay. That's on Shutter too. Shutter something. Well, we can talk about this off the. Before we go, let's take some let's take some guesses about how V I Y is pronounced, and we'll see who's closest to being right when you watch the when you watch the okay, movie. Okay, I'm vying for uh, Vi. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna say we. Yeah, you know, I think that <laughs> that seems correct. I I don't know what else it could be. I, 